Gender and sexuality issues in hockey run deep and require academic research to understand. Why is homophobia and sexism consistent throughout most of the sport of hockey, regardless of the level or location? Does the language we use really make any difference? What can we do to eliminate these problems? While some issues like homophobia are consistent with other professional sports like rugby or football, some of the issues are unique to the game of hockey and its history as a professional sport. Some academics have done the work and have an understanding of the root causes. My name is Dr. Cheryl McDonald. My main title right now is the Associate Director of Outreach at the Center for the Study of Sport and Health at St. Mary's University. Dr. McDonald has conducted some of the top research about hockey, homophobia, and masculinity. To dive deeper into her research, we have to understand one of the root causes of toxic hockey culture, and that is hegemonic masculinity. So hegemonic masculinity is a specific set of traits or ideals in terms of masculine identities that a particular society deems as important or, I guess, valuable or even attractive. The certain traits for hegemonic masculinity include aggression, strength, suppression of emotion other than anger, and rejection of anything feminine. The term was coined by Raywin Connell, who argues that hegemonic masculinity is built on two foundations, dominance over women and dominance over men who don't conform to the traits of hegemonic masculinity. This would include any man who's not heterosexual. It became important, at least in Canada, when Canada became a nation. When the British came over to Canada and this landmass started taking on the Commonwealth's ideals that included how to rear and upbring young boys. And a big part of that was education and sport. Hockey's predominance in Canada made it the perfect vehicle to teach children values of what it meant to be a man and how to conform to societal expectations. Hockey became popular because we were in the North. We had a lot of ice to, to sum up really quickly. And I think that hockey became very tough as well because of this idea that we survived outside. We played our sports outside. And it was also a very physical game at the same time. Hockey is one of the few non-fighting sports where fighting is encouraged. Violence has historically been a big part of the game. It was a way to assert a man's masculinity. Big, strong men fight to show their strength and dominance over other men and display toughness when they get their teeth knocked out and continue to play. But these ideas of how a hockey player should act were passed down to each new generation of hockey players to the point that it was expected of them. This kind of hegemonic behavior became problematic because it contributed to a culture of homophobia and sexism in the sport. And so I think this is how we got to a place of hyper-masculinity, where perhaps some people took some of those things a bit too seriously. And then you end up with people who are competitive in problematic ways and who are risk-takers in dangerous ways, um, who are perhaps too self-entitled and see themselves as too far above other men and some women. 
These players often use sexist or homophobic language to assert their dominance in their hockey community. I think that the language we use is more important than a lot of people give it credit for. I think sexist and anti-gay language are so deeply ingrained into hockey culture that a lot of folks are completely detached from what it actually means. I don't doubt for one second that most people who use that language do not actually mean to offend gay people or women. Uh, however, they do mean to offend somebody and those are the words they're using. Um, and I think that there has been a very predominant assumption that everyone is straight in men's competitive ice hockey and that almost everyone thinks that women are made for objectifying anyway, that they're kind of trophies more than equals. And therefore, it has just been so okay to talk about folks in such degrading ways. This language creates an often unsafe and unaccepting environment for any players who aren't heterosexual men. When you hear your identity put down long enough, you eventually start to internalize it, even if it's not directed at you, and even if you know that it's only meant to put someone down or insult them, or even as a joke, eventually there comes a time where you start to believe there's something wrong with you. My name is Eric Dennison, and I'm a researcher at Monash University, which is in Australia. But we research sport around the world to try and understand why homophobic and sexist and racist language remains so common in sport, particularly in youth sport. Eric Dennison led the first international study of homophobia in sport, with nearly 10,000 participants in nearly 30 studies in 42 different sports. We have a lot of research on the problems, but we have almost no research on solutions uh, that can be used by sport industry, government, um, and LGBT organizations to protect children from harm. And protecting children from harm is exactly what motivates Eric. What gets me out of the bed in the morning, and I spend probably 12 to 14 hours working on this issue every day, um, probably half of it unpaid, is that the suicide and self-harm rates of LGBT kids, they're just, they're just astounding. You know, when you think about if you had four gay kids in the room, one of them would have attempted suicide in the last year compared to one in 20 straight kids. And the primary driver, there's no question, is experiences of discrimination. And we know that if kids play sport, it's a key protective factor. It's something that we can you know, used to protect kids from suicide and self-harm. So that's why we really need to sort out this problem of homophobia in sport. It's, it's gone on far too long. It's Eric's own experiences that allow him to understand the gravity of this issue and why more research is needed. I was one of the young people who was excluded from sport. I think probably self-excluded from sport because of the language that others were using. Because of the language that was being used by others, I never felt welcome. And even before I knew I was for sure gay, the language bothered me and pushed me out of sport. For me, unfortunately, that meant that because I wasn't able to attend PE class because my PE teacher couldn't protect me from the abuse that was nonstop, which is fairly typical. 
but also just from sport it meant that I got into other things like partying and drugs and things that could have spiraled down and led me down a path that a lot of LGBT kids end up in which is suicide and self-harm and and drug addiction and, and those kinds of issues and depression um, thankfully I have good parents and managed for that not to happen um, but I still believe that if I had been allowed to play sport and felt welcome I wouldn't have even gone down that path I would have been completely absorbed in sport Eric focuses on what solutions can be made for homophobia in sports because asking why homophobic language is used is actually old news we've known for 50 years that this language is not used to express homophobia overtly you know like I hate gay people it's used to say to others hey I'm heterosexual are you heterosexual? So you're saying to these kids, stop, you know, stop using homophobic language. And they're saying, what homophobic language? Because in their mind, they're not using it to express homophobia. They're using it to tell others that they're straight. However, there are signs that habits of homophobic rhetoric can be broken, as Dr. McDonald discusses. In my research with openly gay hockey players, I have found that 100% of the time when they come out to their teammates, the language changes immediately. And not only does the language change, but it is also not tolerated from opponents either, um, which shows me, A, yes, we can change, <laughs> and B, yes, it matters. And research Eric Dennison has conducted shows similar opinions of this language in hockey. We find around 10 to 20% of hockey players say that they've used racist slurs in the past two weeks, whereas it's around 50 to 60% have used homophobic slurs. Um, so racist slurs are still a problem, but they're far less common than they used to be. So if we're able to get them to stop using racist slurs, I think we can get them to stop using homophobic and sexist slurs, particularly because we know that hockey players don't even like this language. When we ask them questions like, do you think gay men are disgusting? About one in three of them think that gay men are disgusting. But when we ask them, do you want homophobic language to stop? 80 to 90% of them say they want homophobic language to stop, including the ones who think gay people are disgusting. So everyone wants this language to stop. There's just been nothing done to actually correct this problem. And the harmful language in hockey culture doesn't stop at homophobia. As a woman researching men's professional hockey, Dr. McDonald got a firsthand look at other issues in men's hockey culture. In a lot of cases, I was very interested in homophobia and found sexism instead. That definitely surprised me. And Dr. McDonald didn't just witness sexist commentary. It was even occasionally directed at her. I definitely had to set aside my self-respect in some ways, um, specifically by putting up with a lot of sexist humor. I can think of a general manager. I spent two weeks with a team and the general manager, whenever he would introduce me to other people, he wouldn't even say my name. He would laugh and say, this is my future ex-wife. The predominance of sexist language in the hockey community is closely tied to the usage of homophobic language. And I think we're even farther behind on the connection of that language, of anti-gay language, to sexist language. So, for example, um, there are certain words that we use interchangeably that could refer to women and could refer to a gay man. or they might refer to women, but they're used to imply that a gay man is feminine. And probably the thing that bothers me the most about how language is handled 
in men's competitive ice hockey is the fact that you will absolutely be fined and or suspended for using homophobic language on the ice. We may not agree with how harsh the penalties are, but they're there. Uh, whereas if you use sexist language on the ice, that's a free for all. You go right ahead. The next 30 seconds of this podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. In one particular case of the word cocksucker, that is treated in hockey as an anti-gay slur. However, the other human that we would use to refer to with that word is a straight woman. A prominent example is when NHL star Ryan Getzlaff was seen on camera using the word cocksucker in the 2017 Stanley Cup playoffs. He was fined $10,000 for using what the NHL considered a homophobic slur. But there was never any mention of the sexist implications the word has as well. I find it interesting that that connection between putting down women and putting down gay men is so blatant and inherent, uh, yet it's not treated the same and is not taken as seriously. And something that you will often hear Brock say that I wholeheartedly agree with is that there's a strong chance that gay men in hockey will not gain equality without straight women also gaining equality in that community. They are big allies for one another um, because they are often assumed to be equivalent. The International Olympic Committee issued scientific consensus statements in 2007, 2016, and 2019 about verbal abuse and harassment in sport, with a specific emphasis on the risks that LGBTQ athletes face. All three statements reiterated the same thing. These issues need to be driven by the top. So when I say the top, I'm not talking about the NHL. And that's the problem in this, in this area is that the NHL has nothing to do with children's sport, nothing. They're about elite athletes who make millions of dollars a year, who are, they're a market, they're a business, they're a marketing machine. We need Hockey Canada, we need Soccer Canada, we need Rugby Canada, we need um, uh, Hockey USA, you know, those are the people that need to be driving this and they completely ignore this topic. It's not even on their radar. The International Olympic Committee points to sport governing bodies needing to step up to create real change at a grassroots level. If an athlete grows up being taught proper programs, they are much less likely to retain toxic behaviors of that sport's culture. But governing bodies in Canada are not supporting youth in this country. The problem is there's been around 30 papers that have been published which have consistently found that the sport governing bodies are avoiding responsibility to do something about this topic because of what the professional sporting organizations are doing. Because they're doing rainbow games and you know changing their logos into rainbow and there's a perception things are actually being done about this problem when there actually is nothing being done about this problem in youth sport. Um, there's no programs being delivered to youth sport in Canada. There's no programs being delivered in any meaningful way uh, in, in the United States. We need the governing bodies to actually do their jobs of protecting children from harm. The question stands, how are the governing bodies failing children? Well, as Eric points out, it's a system of failures. In most countries, 
the responsibility to protect children from harm has been delegated to the sport governing bodies. So Hockey Canada, for example, is responsible for ensuring that child protection laws are enforced in its sport. Um, it then delegates that down to the provincial governing bodies, who then delegate it down to the local leagues and teams, who then delegate it down to a volunteer coach who's not being paid, not being monitored, and often using homophobic language himself. And so there is no one ensuring that child protection laws are being um, complied with in sport environments. So how can the system failure be fixed? It may require external intervention. We need governments to take away the self-regulatory system that sport has because it's not working. We know that from child protection issues and child abuse. We know that from the systemic racism that occurs in sport. We know that from the systemic sexism and gender inequality that occurs in sports like hockey. And we know that with homophobia. So sports should no longer be allowed to regulate themselves. We need to take away their ability to regulate themselves because they can't be trusted to do it. There's a proposed class action lawsuit against all Canadian major junior hockey leagues and teams that alleged they were complicit in toxic hockey culture. Former Canadian Hockey League players allege they were subject of abuse, which includes, quote, physical and sexual assault, hazing, bullying, physical and verbal harassment, sexual harassment, forced consumption of alcohol and illicit drugs, and the use of homophobic, sexualized, and or racist slurs directed against minors playing in the leagues, perpetuated by players, coaches, staff, servants, employees, and agents of the league, end quote. The class action lawsuit could be very influential if it goes through. That's going to change sport culture more than anything that can ever be done anywhere because of the fact that it's just going to get so much media attention. You know, the, the details in the statement of claims are just horrific. Everything from homophobic rape cultures to you know, constant homophobic abuse, um, you know, that's going to drive more change because these are at the end of the day businesses and they're worried about their legal liability and, and risk. And the boards of Hockey Canada have a legal obligation to make sure Hockey Canada is not at risk of being sued. So I think that that's going to drive change more than anything. But until legal matters like the lawsuit are resolved, Academics like Dr. McDonald say that there is positive influence in visibility of openly queer players in the top ice hockey leagues. You know, we always say you can't be what you can't see. And that means that we need openly gay NHL players. It means we need openly gay coaches. We need openly gay general managers. And I do think we'll get there someday. Absolutely, I believe we will. And I think that there's a lot of pressure on closeted NHL players to come out uh, because it would have such a wonderful impact on the community, especially a player who was very skilled. But it should be noted that coming out is a strictly personal decision, and activists in this area should avoid pressuring hockey players to come out, because in some situations, it might not be safe for their career or well-being to do so. On the one hand, you can't force someone to come out if they're not ready. And I think that a closeted NHL player has many reasons not to come out. My research has shown that if you are any kind of a distraction, whether it's in the room, 
in the media, you name it, by drawing any kind of attention to yourself, um, there's a strong chance you'll be traded or that your career will end entirely. And cultural expectations about how a hockey player should act still influence why queer hockey players decide to play in the closet. Hockey players, especially in Canada, are often taught that to be a socially acceptable hockey player, you have to be humble and keep to yourself. So whether players themselves or members of the media, they prefer the Connor McDavid's and the Sidney Crosby's who stay out of the spotlight and let their game speak for itself versus your Sean Avery's, your PK Subban's who are quite happy to be in the spotlight and draw attention to themselves. But I'm guessing that a lot of the closeted hockey players in the NHL are humble, don't want to be a spokesperson for the queer community and would really just rather not attract that attention. And so that makes it even harder. But my bottom line is still that we will see a huge trickle down effect once we finally have that out later. The issues in hockey culture run very deep and can't be fixed overnight. These are systemic issues. These are not individual attitude issues. You can't change something like gender norms through telling people to be nice to gay people. Like that has nothing to do with gender norms. Uh, you know, these are deeply systemic problems, primarily because team sports like hockey were invented to teach kids gender norms. So you're basically challenging the very nature of the game in order to solve the problem. And that's what's necessary to address this issue. One key element of addressing the issue in hockey is sports journalism and the role journalists play in reporting issues in sports to the general public. Journalists have a responsibility to inform the public of issues within hockey culture. However, in some ways, sports journalism cultures could mirror the very ones of the sports they cover. Join me in episode three of Masked Up, where I talk to sports journalists about the role sport media plays in creating and shifting hockey culture.